At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Do you want to save money at the grocery store? Eat more organic, whole foods? Cultivate food security and feel more connected to the earth? If so, then growing your own food is a no-brainer. You wouldn't believe how many people come to me claiming that they can't grow their own food. They think they don't have enough space, that they're too busy, or that they simply don't have what it takes. Perhaps you've fallen for one of these gardening myths. If you think you can't grow food, or if you think the only food that you have access to is what you buy in the grocery store, I have a life-changing webinar that you need to see. It's free and will help you unearth your inner gardener. I've helped thousands of people just like you learn to grow their own food, and I'm speaking from my own experience when I say that with the right knowledge in place, there is no such thing as a black thumb. With this webinar, you can begin making your garden dreams come true and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to IWantToGarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or IWantToGarden.com. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the Grow Your Own Food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Johannes Paul to talk about modern urban chicken coops. Johannes met his three friends, James, Simon, and Will, at the Royal College of Art in London, where they were all studying industrial design. In their final year, they designed a revolutionary new chicken house, which made it simpler to keep chickens in gardens. It looked rather like an igloo, and in a moment of punning genius, they named it Egloo. They exhibited their first prototype at the graduation show, and over 500 visitors expressed an interest to keep chickens in their garden. At that moment, they decided to move to Oxford and start a company to develop their new product. They created the company Omelette as a way for people to get closer to their food and improve their quality of life through sustainable, intelligent design. Over the next eight months, they made over 20 prototypes, which they tested with volunteers, each time improving the design. They launched the first Egloo in time for Easter 2004. Since then, the Egloo has been exhibited all over the world and was included in the Victorian and Albert Museum first major exhibition celebrating post-war design to coincide with the 2012 Olympics alongside the Concorde and E-Type Jaguar. 
Omelette has grown from the original four founders to over 40 committed to encouraging people to discover the joy of collecting their own eggs. Johannes grew up on a small farm about 60 miles south of London, England. They had chicken, pigs, sheep, and goats, and his mom was really into growing vegetables and fruit and getting him interested in food. He studied mechanical engineering in London and then earned a master's degree in industrial design engineering. Johannes is 37 years old and married with two children. His wife is a film producer, and he says she is much more glamorous than he is. And interestingly, he won't eat chicken because now he kind of thinks of them as colleagues. He says he loves what he does, combining product design and food. Welcome to the show today, Johannes. Hey, Greg. It's great to, great to join you on my first ever podcast. <laughs> That's cool. I'm glad I'm glad we're your first. So yeah, I'm very excited. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now? Yeah, it, it seems simultaneously to have gone by in an instant, and uh, <laughs> and then I've been doing it for a long time. Yeah, um, omelet is really the only job I've ever had. Uh-huh. Uh, Good the, for you. The last in- yeah, the last interview I had was when I was about twelve, I think, when mm-hmm. I used to work in a garden center uh, in the holidays. So it's been a kind of a career and a, and a life for me so far. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, yeah, I mean, you said uh, quite a bit already, but um, it really started back in uh, 1999. Oh, wow. When I, I, uh, when I went to university and, mm-hmm. and started to kind of, um, you know, figure out a little bit more about what I was interested in. And, and I remember being doing my, my first degree on the first day uh, where I studied mechanical engineering, thinking mm-hmm. this is not one I want to spend the rest of my life doing. Mm. But I was, but I was quite stubborn, and so I thought, well, I may as well just finish this one. So I did that degree, uh, graduated, and then luckily I, I found this course uh, at the Royal College of Art, which was uh, specifically for people who'd been stubborn and done a science degree but knew it wasn't really for them. Yeah. And this was an opportunity to sort of go a bit sideways and and follow a, a bit more of a Kind of, I don't want to necessarily say creative path because I think you could be a scientist and be very creative, but right. it's, I guess more artistic. And and so I like I got onto this uh, fantastic course called Industrial Design Engineering with about thirty other like-minded um, students, and uh, it was there that I really sort of discovered like this is what I love to do is solving problems, you know, creating products, trying to really think differently and um and create some really cool stuff uh-huh uh, uh, yeah it was you know it was a great time um and then towards the end of the course we were just there was me and james simon and will we we'd come back from summer vacation and, and we were kind of hanging around like what are we going to do um you know once we graduate and everyone was like you know we should start a company together as you do obviously because you're avoiding right. getting a job for as long as possible <laughs> yeah i know that one <laughs> and, yeah and uh I was like, yeah, what should we do, though? I'd, I'd been working in uh, sort of pediatric medical devices, all really, you know, interesting and, and mm-hmm. really good stuff. And Simon and Will had been working mainly on kind of furniture-based products. And and Jim was like, Look, I, you know, I just don't know what to do. I, I don't really have any ideas. It'd be great, you know, if you guys could kind of help me out with some brainstorming. So we kind of brainstormed around a bit, and eventually, after about two hours of not really getting anywhere, he sort of, in exasperation, said, you know what, my mom says I should just redesign a chicken house. Oh. And we were all like, oh my God, that's a great idea. 
And I think he thought we were not being serious and really you know, sort of egging him on to do a chicken house because we thought it was a joke. Right. But we were all like, no, this is a great idea. You know, the timing of it, it was just at the early stages where, you know, we noticed people were a little bit more interested and there'd be some food scares and people were just interested yep. in like, maybe there's a slightly different way. And, and we were like, the chicken is like the perfect kind of crossover farm animal that you can actually keep in a back garden. Yeah. And, and so like, that was it. So the four of us were like, right, let's do it. Let's just let's develop the best ever hobby chicken coop. Let's like, get a new generation of people into keeping chickens. Wow. And that was it. So it kind of started as a joke. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it was like a sort of, well, it was like a dare almost. Yeah. You know, like, okay, yeah, you know, do a chicken house, I dare you. And then, and then, but the more we talked about it, the more it was like, well, this just makes sense. And the funny, like, the world's changed so much because nowadays you do it and you, you know, you put the products on Kickstarter. Right. And, you know, five minutes later, you've raised half a million dollars and, you know, you've got your first thousand customers or whatever. Yeah. This is like we're talking about, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Almost didn't 20. Exist. Yeah, it didn't yeah. exist. And and it was much more of a like a, a risky thing, you know, to do a new product. It came out of gut instinct. And then, you know, loads of people said to us, even our tutors at college, they were all like, you know, <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it. Like, you know, this is not going to work. Everyone was like advising us not to do it. Wow. And but we kind of just had this gut feeling that it was, yeah. it was work. Man, I'd have been remember. I'd have been standing behind you pushing you. <laughs> well, <laughs> I thought like, maybe you were. Maybe you were. Yeah, there you go. Well, you know, like some, I guess some people just you know you just have that, and maybe for some some ideas it doesn't work out, and you were too ahead of your time, or mm-hmm. you know, and we just I think we lucked out with the timing a bit, or or at least we were aware of the timing, and that's what made us feel like you know, gave us the confidence to do it. Right. I don't really believe in luck so much as I, you know, you have the sort of, you have the drive to do something. You're aware of like the, the sort yeah. of the environment, the time that you're living in that actually it might be the right time for this. And so therefore you kind of, you're mitigating your risk by being right. aware of all these things and doing it. Yeah. And then everyone obviously goes, wow, that's so lucky. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's yeah. where the luck comes in at, right? Yeah. 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 But obviously, you know, it was a lot of hard work and I remember, I left, uh, we graduated from that, uh, from the, the Royal College of Art, and I went home to see my mum and, uh, you know, to have a couple <laughs> of weeks off. And I, and I said to her, Oh my could gosh, I borrow, could I borrow the car? And she was like, what, what do you need the car for? And I said, Well, I'm going over to, to, uh, to Oxfordshire to meet up with the other guys, and, and we're going to start Omelette. And, and she just looked at me, like this sort of expression on her face of complete like, bewilderment. Like, well, what do you mean? That was just, I thought that was just what you were doing at college, but now you're going to get a proper job, <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> right? No, you don't understand. We're going to, you know, we're going to actually make the eggloo. We're going to put it into production. Yeah, it's going to be brilliant, and we're going to get everyone to keep chickens. And she salutes me like, "You are absolutely mad. You've done six years at university, uh-huh. and you're going to become a chicken coop designer." Yay! Like, yeah. Obviously, now she's really proud, and she absolutely of loves course. it. She tells her friends about it. Yeah. You know, literally, like everyone, everyone just thought this is crazy. Uh-huh. And, um, well, I don't know. We just, we just thought it would work, and and luckily it did. Wow! So the igloo came out, and that's E G L U igloo, and yeah. so it came out in two thousand and three. 
Uh, well, we came out uh, in 2004, so we graduated, and then we spent the sort of the the winter developing it, and you know, living on no money at all, and uh-huh. just real, you know, sort of bootstrap kind of stuff, and and then we we launched it in Easter 2004, and uh, yeah, it was uh, kind of just like straight out of the box, it just was a hit. We just yeah. really lucked out with, we got an amazing amount of publicity. Um, it just snowballed and, uh-huh. and for about six months. It seemed like you couldn't open a magazine or a newspaper or turn <laughs> on the TV without somebody talking about, wow, there's this new craze about chicken keeping. Obviously that I'm talking about in the UK. Uh, yeah, yeah. you know, it was, a, it was just a huge thing there. And yeah, it just, uh, we ended up with like a 14 week waiting list and wow. we didn't really have a business plan beyond <laughs> the initial launch. You know, we right. were kind of still students. So, for us, <laughs> what we were used to was like you would do a student project, you would uh, you know exhibit it, and then you would go on holiday for, for a few weeks or right. whatever. You know, whereas this was like this is real life. So we did a product, we exhibited it, and then oh my goodness, we had loads of customers, and we had to actually deliver products to them. And they wanted <laughs> to pay us money for it. Right. And we didn't have that bit of the business plan. So at that point, we were really like out of our depth and, and struggling to kind of make it work. And, mm-hmm. you know, the first year was like, I mean, it's a cliche, but it was seven days a week. We were working oh, yeah. crazy hours. Yep. You know, luckily there was four of us. So we kind of managed to string it along. So the customers didn't really notice. Right. But we were all doing, you know, everything. So we were doing, you know, the, the actual assembly of the products. Mm-hmm. Uh, Will was doing that in the in the in the well, it was a garage. We called it a warehouse, but essentially uh-huh. it was a garage. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> yeah, you know, he sort of uh, glamorized these things a bit. And then Simon was doing all the production and making sure that we, you know, were getting the product from from our suppliers and, mm-hmm. and having the stuff to deliver. James was out delivering chickens and chicken coops on on our on in in our local area in the van. And I was doing customer service and like trying to you know sort of explain to people why they were having to wait fourteen weeks for their chicken coop. Right. One day I just I just fell asleep on the phone to a customer, and, uh, you know we were just also yeah not not the greatest moment. I was just I just sort of dropped. Off. I was so tired, and then I remember you know we we were sitting there and I was telling James's dad about it, and he just looked at me and I well why don't you just employ somebody to do it? You know you guys have you know you got a successful business now. You got yeah. customers. You could just start employing. We were all in that mindset like well. But no one knows how to do it like we do. Of you course. Know, the yep. only people in the world who could ever, you know, sell a chicken coop to somebody, deliver it to somebody, assemble it for somebody. You know, there's no one else in the world who's possibly got that skill set. And he just looked at us like, listen, there will be people out there who can help you. You know, they're called <laughs> employees. So right. we hired our first employee, and that was a guy called Roy. And, um, he was uh, a far better chicken coop delivery guy than James ever was, and and then we hired you know a really lovely lady called Brenda who did our customer service to begin uh-huh. with, and uh, there was a really funny day after about a week, she said to she said to me, um, is there I'm really sorry to ask, but is there a toilet I can use? Oh, <laughs> we were, uh, um, oh, you mean you can't just go around back behind the chicken sheds? <laughs> <laughs> And that's like, I mean, you know, that's the kind of level we were at in terms right. of professionalism in the office. We didn't even really have a functioning toilet for the staff. So, 
it took a while to get the business systems sort of up to speed mm-hmm. and at the same sort of level of quality right. as the as the product in those early days. But um, you know, that's all part of it, and uh, we really enjoyed that learning curve. And, yeah. and I guess we're still on it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. What? Fifteen years later. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. All right. So I've I've got questions that need to get answered. So yes. The company is Omelette. Mm-hmm. The chicken coop is an Egglu. I'm going to have you tell us about what those are in a minute. Where did those names come from? Well, that that is a really great question. They both have a, a kind of a story behind them. Please. So Omelette originally came from an early idea that we had um, for, it's kind of, I, I guess a lot of Omelette is to do with bad puns and uh you know, we originally were thinking we would rent chickens to people. So oh. omelette came from like letting chickens and it was uh, like omelette is like a sort of eggy theme. Right. So that kind of worked because we didn't, we, we were worried that people would be like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to like it. So, you know, if we could rent them the chickens or let them the chickens for like, you know, $10 a week or something that they maybe would try it and then eventually buy it. Mm-hmm. And so that was where that original, but we never ended up doing that because everyone loved the chicken so much that we didn't, you know, need to. So, so that's where omelet came from. And then Eglu actually, you know, was one of those really lucky things where it, before we launched the business, we were going around entering every kind of business competition that we could find. Mm, right. Money for the, for the, what we wanted to do. Yeah, and I guess this is what what I was saying is like this is the pre Kickstarter day. So yeah, exactly. Kids, this is what it was like before Kickstarter. It wasn't <laughs> like you just sat in your bedroom and you could make a really nice looking video and then you know reach the world essentially. Yeah, what we had to do was we had to go out there and present to you know banks and other sort of organisations our business idea, and often we would be in there amongst proper ideas which would save mm. lives for right. example and we were in there as like it's the four art students who want to get the world to keep chickens and we would generally do quite well because they they i think the judges always found the story so funny exactly there's these four young guys all with long hair and beards who've come up with this quite cool looking chicken coop but like seriously, is that? Do they really think we're going to give them twenty thousand pounds to do that? You know, and they would kind of keep egging us on, like, well, okay, guys, yeah, really good, like, keep telling us the story. And anyway, at the end of one of these things where we didn't win, um, uh, one of the judges came up to us and uh, she said, "Listen, uh, it's such a great idea. I really, and I genuinely mean this. I really think you should do it. You really, I'm really sorry that you couldn't win, but I've." thought of this name for the product i don't know if it'd be useful to you welcome you know if you want to have it you've been calling it the urban chicken coop but i think it looks kind of like an igloo so i think you should call it an igloo oh my god that's a great name and uh yeah so that's you know came from a competition didn't win yeah we did win in a way because we got that a few you know a year or so later when we trademarked it and i had a as a trademark lawyer, it was like, this is one of the best trademarks I've ever yep. got to work on because it's so original, it's so yep. clever. Yes. It looks like, it looks like you know, the word describes the look of the product, which exactly. is so, so hard to do. Exactly. So, yeah. I, well, I, I have to tell you, when I saw, so it had to have been just a couple, three weeks ago, there was a, a, either a video or pictures flying around Facebook. And when yeah. I saw it, I laughed 
at the not at the name, but I laughed because of the name. And yes. and then I started tracking you guys down because it's like, oh my gosh, we've got to tell your story. Thank you. Well, yeah, thanks. Thanks for thanks for finding us because uh, yeah, it's you know we we really appreciate it. It really feels like it's uh, it's the right time to be trying to you know get people to keep chickens uh, in America. Like I mentioned, we we probably we tried a few years ago and it didn't yep. really work. But um, no, it's it seems that now with that video and some other yeah. stuff that we're doing really seems to be capturing people's imagination. Yeah. yeah. Ten years ago, they were still kind of making fun and laughing at those of us that were growing food in our front and backyards. And so, so yeah. much has, so much has changed. Yeah, it really has. And yeah. um, I don't know if, uh, if your listeners would be interested, but we, I guess, you know, we, we tried to do a, a, a fair in New York state, New York state fair, probably in about 2007, 2008. Uh-huh. And, uh, 10 years ago. Yeah, I stood there for 10 days and I don't think a single person was interested in the idea of yeah. backyard chickens. Yeah. And um, we just did a, a the Mother Earth Fair in, in Asheville. Uh, you know, it was like I must have demonstrated the igloo about 200 times. You know, mm-hmm. it was so popular. And then nice. and we did a, a really a mainstream show, the Anim- uh, America's Family Pet Expo in Costa Mesa in California. Wow. I cannot tell you that like we had all our products because now we make a range of different things like we make hamster cages and dog crates and all sorts of different really cool nice stuff uh-huh. um, but it was the chicken coops that everyone was interested in yeah you know, it was just unbelievable yeah every you know like kids in their like 20s people in their 50s yep. every, every type of person was like wow chickens yeah I'd love to keep chickens <laughs> You know, we couldn't have been more, you know, exotic if we'd had, I think, a lion and a tiger on our stand. People <laughs> right. were, you know, tell me about chickens. These are yeah. so, so cool. Cool. So, all right, now we've we've prepped everybody for about the past 15 minutes. Tell mm. us, uh, so for those people that haven't seen a picture of it, tell us about Igloo. And uh, yeah, yeah. T- what what am I going to be looking at? <laughs> Do you know what? It's, a, it's such a difficult one for me uh, to describe because if you saw an igloo, you wouldn't know it was a chicken coop. Uh-huh. Maybe that's one of the best ways of describing it. So, and I think that's why it's been so successful because a lot of people who see it, they just love it. They just like the look of it. They mm-hmm. say, wow, what is that? I really like it. And that's the kind of a really good icebreaker. Uh, it gets people to think of the chickens in a different way. Um, yeah. You know, it's not it's not a regular chicken coop. It's not made out of wood. It doesn't look like that. It's a it's predominantly made out of plastic. So it looks kind of we do different ones. The Eglu Cube is our largest one. It's kind of for up to ten chickens. It mm-hmm. has wheels. It kind of some people describe it, it looks a little bit like a sort of almost like a like a caravan, like a um, oh yeah, you know, it's almost like a little house that you could actually live yep. in. Um, some people describe them as looking a little bit like VW camper vans. Oh yeah, uh, I can get know, that VW, too. They have that kind of slightly retro look to them. Mm-hmm. Other people was like, oh, it looks, you know, they're a bit like the early Max, you know, those sort of colorful ones that oh, they did. Oh right, yes. So lots of little sort of like, I guess, aesthetic kind of directions in there. The main thing for us though, when we're designing the products, is always to, they have to follow the the form has to follow the function. So although they mm. look kind of when they look interesting and they're different really at the heart of it is a product which just works fantastically well yeah and not just from your point of view but from like the chicken's point of view so if i'm a chicken and i'm living in an igloo i've got a really secure place to live 
I've got a really nice insulated house where I'm going to be warm in the winter. I'm going to be cool in the summer. I've got a really comfy nest box. It's very clean. It's hygienic. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all of those things. It's just a really nice environment to be in. If I'm the owner of an igloo, I've got that super easy to clean chicken coop, which I can do in like five minutes, and it is properly clean. It's, you know, that's what people love about the igloos. Um, I've got something which looks nice in my in my backyard, which is easy to move around mm-hmm. and is secure as well. So, you know, it's great for the kids to use. Um, it's got really convenient doors where you can access to get the eggs out. You know, it's, it's going to last 20 years. It's zero maintenance. You don't have to paint it. You don't have to put any chemicals on it. You know, it's just it just works. People are always amazed that I, oh, especially if they've already kept chickens and they have tried, you know, other chicken coops. They always, oh, I wish I'd done this years ago. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and it comes in different colors. Uh, yes. Looks like you got purple yeah. and green. Yeah. Um, um, one of the things that I noticed that you've done is you've put a skirt all the way around the edge of it. Uh, uh-huh. uh, why is that? So that was a good tip given to us uh, when we were first uh, researching hobby chicken coops and how mm-hmm. to make like the ultimate hobby chicken coop. We visited a, a big chicken farm. The farmer said to us, you know, about like how do you, we? I think we we must have asked like how do you keep predators out. He said, oh, you know, everyone makes the mistake where they dig the wire mesh down and they just put the, you know, horizontally just keep putting it down. But any predator will just keep digging and digging and digging until they get under it and then they'll pop over the top. So what you want to do is you want to just put it about six inches on the ground and have it coming out from the side. And they'll never dig through that and they never think to walk back six inches. Um, Just isn't in their nature to do it. Exactly. Oh, Yes. But the anti-tunnel is kind of it's really simple. It's unique to igloos. No one else really does it, uh, and it totally works. It stops predators from digging in. Yeah. For all of you out there that are curious about this, first of all, we'll have pictures on our show notes page, but you can also go to omelet o m l e t dot u s. Uh, it's also available in other countries. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's um, it's available throughout Europe, Australia, New Zealand. It's going to launch in Canada in the next uh, few weeks, actually. Uh, nice. So sort of mid, yeah, mid two thousand seventeen. It will be launching in Canada. Yeah, it's kind of uh, it's kind of gaining momentum now. Um, <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. That is for sure. So you have different sizes of igloos uh, that can hold different amounts of chickens. Yeah. So we have the Eglu Go and the Go Up uh, for three to four chickens. Mm-hmm. They're a great, you know, either people buy them as um, like a broody coop. So if they're rearing chicks, oh, yes. uh, they work really well for that. Uh, again, that hygiene aspect is, is really uh, useful if you're, you know, breeding chickens. Mm-hmm. And they're very secure, so they're, they're really great for that. And then we have the Eglu Cube, which is our, um, our biggest model, which is for up to 10 chickens. And all of them can have extendable, uh, secure runs as well. Mm-hmm. So you have the, the sort of the house part, and then you have the secure run, which you can extend in three-foot sections. And then we also do these uh, outdoor pet runs, which are really like aviaries almost. You know, oh, they're yes? quite uh-huh. big. You can walk into them, and you can connect all the chicken coops with them. So you can create uh, you know, like a really amazing sort of area for your chickens, which is completely secure. Uh, from hawks and all sorts of predators. Ah, yes. Uh, 
yeah, those are a really popular way to do it as well. I guess a whole sort of system, because we kind of design it all ourselves and, you know, we're in it for the long term, is that we try to, every time we design a system, we kind of make it work with everything else. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you started out with a product, when we launch a new thing, the chances are, you know, you'll be able to connect it with that and use it with that. So, yeah. you know, you, it's a, the idea is always to try to allow people to progress with how their hobby is developing. Yeah. Uh, Beautiful. So, and it, how do they hold up in extreme weather? Really well. Uh, so all igloos have got a twin wall design. So uh, uh, it was mm-hmm. right from the outset, you know, it was a question that we knew people would have. And obviously we, we wanted to answer it and design the product properly. So we always designed it with sort of extreme weathers in mind. They, you know, really good, like even down to say like 10 degrees uh, mm-hmm. Fahrenheit, you're going to have no problems with them. Equally, if it gets really hot, like, you know, the kind of temperature where you could fry an egg on the outside, right. the chickens are going to be really cool on the inside. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, you know, we we have customers in in, uh, in the States, you know, in those kind of extremes of temperature. Yeah. You know, people effectively living in a desert, like in California, where it's really hot and the chickens uh, do absolutely fine in them. Um, hmm. And then, like I say, we're about to start selling in Canada as well. And we've been testing the product up there. Um, obviously, it gets pretty cold and snowy. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that works really well. We also do a range of kind of insulating jackets for when it gets really cold so that you can keep your chickens outside all year round. Oh, oh, cool. Cool, cool. So one other thing, this thing, it, it's kind of portable like a chicken tractor. So you could actually uh, yeah. buy one and move it around the yard so your chickens could do your weeding and fertilizing for yeah. you in your gardens, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, they're really useful for that as well. If, yeah. um, if, you've, uh, if you've got a lawn that needs improving, get some chickens. And, uh, <laughs> of course. So long as, as long as you move them around regularly, like obviously if you leave them in one spot, um, yeah. you won't have any grass left. But actually, you know, it's really funny to see a garden where they've had chickens in it and they've moved their chicken sort of tractor around and missed a bit because the grass just doesn't grow as well there. So right. where if you move the chickens regularly, not only will they rake up uh, you know, any sort of moss and, and sort of weeds in the grass, mm-hmm. but obviously they fertilize it as well. And what you end up with is really nutrient-rich soil. Uh, and the grass, you can, I mean, you can just see it. It grows greener. Yep. It's thicker. Yeah. It's, it's incredible the difference it makes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I uh, let our chickens forage in our backyard in the summertime, and pretty yeah. much they do the mowing of the grass for me, so I don't have to. Yeah. Yeah. And the other cool thing is if, you, if you're into growing vegetables is to put the chickens onto the vegetable patch over winter. Yep. And, you know, they'll do a lot of work for you. You yeah. just, uh, they'll eat, uh, you know, the vegetation down. Obviously, like I said, the, the droppings are a fantastic source of nitrogen, and that goes straight in soil. You just dig it in. Uh, you know, it's going to have a lot of benefits to your yeah. to your vegetables. Yeah. So let's go back to 2012, the Olympics alongside two really cool projects. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So the Olympics was obviously a really exciting uh, time here in the UK. Um, everyone was really getting uh, into it and the idea, you know, that London would be hosting the Olympics. And, and you know, we were sitting there in our office 
thinking, you know, I wonder, oh, it'd be great to get involved somehow. But it's like, you know, kind of chickens and the Olympics, not a natural, you know, the egg and spoon race is probably not going to be a big feature there. So it was it was a nice surprise when we got this uh, email from the Victoria and Albert Museum, which is, uh, I don't know if some of your listeners will probably be familiar with it. It's an extremely well-regarded art and design museum. Uh-huh. Uh, in, in London, and they got in touch with like, we're going to put on this big exhibition uh, celebrating the best of British design, you know, over the last hundred years. Wow. And, and we'd like to, you know, feature the Egglu. And we're like, what? <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of like, this is a joke. And then, you know, it turned out we're serious, and they asked us to send a product down, and, you know, they wanted photos of all the prototyping we'd done. And, and so... We send them a bunch of information and, and their product, and um, and then they, you know, they send us some tickets uh, to come and see the show, and and uh, you know, <laughs> it was a big exhibition. We walked around it, and it was like, oh, I can't see it anywhere. Can't see it. Maybe they decided not to put it in. You know, you sort of your heart sinks. You go, oh well, you know, it was nice to be asked, but obviously they had to make some cuts in the end, and uh, <laughs> and then turn into the last room. And there's a kind of one-eighth replica of the Concorde uh, airplane in there. Wow. It's like, wow, look, there's a Concorde. And then next to that, there's the Jaguar. It's like, wow, look, Jaguar is such a beautiful... Wait a second, what, what's that? Oh, my God, there's the Egglu. And it was, the Egglu was like there in a room with the E-Type Concorde and a chicken coop. It was like, <laughs> wow, that's uh, pretty amazing. Yeah. And um, so... You know, that was a nice. Obviously, I got my mum to come down, and, and <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, it worked out, all right?" She was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. worked out, okay." <laughs> yeah. Hey, mum, we're making chicken so, coops. Look at this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> next, next to a Jaguar and the Concorde. How cool is that? Yeah. Yeah. How cool is yeah. that? So that was pretty nice. The only one still in production in that room as well. Oh, so uh, yeah. Nice. yeah. There you yeah. go. There you go. Well, cool. Thank you so much. So I'm going to shift on you. Yeah. And I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed. How you overcame that failure and what you might have learned from it? Okay, well, other than other than that disastrous first attempt at cracking the U.S. market, um, I think probably well, there's been obvious ones like when we when we were first prototyping the products, and you know we we did really silly things like putting on uh, rubber flaps for where you could collect the eggs, and obviously. A f- pushed its way in and just sort of got straight in and mm-hmm. uh we learned some pretty hard lessons like that you know i think in terms of outright failures i don't i don't understand sort of that we haven't had any but I, there's so many little ones that they all add up yeah. the, the kind of the trick is just to keep sort of you know learning from them it sounds cheesy you but you go. just have to learn from them just keep going i mean you know there, there's been times where you know, the economy's really stung. We've had to let people go, and that's really hard, you know, uh-huh. and you kind of blame yourself and you think, you know, we should have anticipated, we should have made changes, we sort of thought about stuff and, and uh, you know, tried to do things differently so that wouldn't happen. And, you know, and just kind of constantly just learning and trying yeah. to improve. I mean, that's yeah. the only way that you can really stay successful in businesses. Amen to that. Amen to yeah. that. So what do you consider your biggest success Obviously, the Egglu is is really, uh, you know, it's not many times you get the chance to, I think, work on a product that almost becomes like iconic that quickly, yeah. and you know, gets featured in 
a room with Concord and E-Type. I mean, I think when I was at college and, um, you know, learning product design, you know, that's the holy grail really is to yeah. work on, you know, the Coca-Cola bottle or, um, you know, or the Dyson vacuum cleaner. It's like, you know, it's not really often, and I, we're not in that league yet, but um, <laughs> I do feel like the, it was the greatest success really was in coming up with a way to make people see keeping chickens differently. Yeah. So through the design of a product, we managed to get people to like do a double take mm-hmm. and just kind of reassess like what is a pet? You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a rabbit or a dog or a cat or yeah. a tortoise. A pet could be also a chicken, which mm-hmm. actually lays eggs. And oh, if it, you know, those eggs maybe are like a bit tastier and a bit better for me, and yeah. they, you know, than the ones that I just buy from the store. And not just like you know, nutritionally, but like in terms of what it means. And yeah, you know, actually thinking about it a bit more, I really remember a phone call I had with a, a customer early on, and she phoned up to order something, and it was like how's it going you know with the chickens and stuff and she was like, oh it's really great but you know i have got one thing which uh, you know a bone to pick with you and i was like what is it she said well you know we just we don't really can't eat chicken anymore <laughs> i was like okay well you know that's not such a bad thing she was like well you know we used to buy i have to be honest you know we used to buy that sort oh. of we used to go to the supermarket we'd buy yep. quite cheap chicken and 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 now i realize that you know there's a cost involved in producing cheap food yep. and the cost is is on the animal, you know, the, uh-huh. the quality of life that animal has. And I can't do it anymore. You know, I, I don't want to do that. Yeah. I was like, wow, you know, we never kind of told that person to think that way, but we kind of convinced them to keep chickens because it would be a fun hobby. And then they started to make those kind of connections. And yes. They ended up as somebody who had changed the way they ate food generally as a family. I thought that was really amazing. Yeah. Wow. That is an epic story. That's, that's when we know we're doing the right work. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And that was like, that was hugely motivating as well. Cause yeah. it's like, wow. Okay. You know, it's actually, cause you, you know, when you design these products and stuff, you have these kind of high ideas of like, wow, uh-huh. you know, it could, could change people's lives. But then to actually hear it had happened was yeah. really quite humbling and nice. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So what drives you? Well, I don't know what more I could add than that, but, uh, <laughs> you know, that is it. It's like, uh, yeah. you know, I think seeing it, what's really, it's really hard to design these products well, you know, from the point of view of the animal mm-hmm. and also the owner. It's like coming up with products that really work for both and trying to do that without compromising. You know, that's really, it's really drives you on because you kind of, you never get it 100% right. You know, you always like, well, we could do it, you know, the next one, we could do it better. We could yeah. come up with something better. Or a customer mentions something like, oh, have you thought of this? And, oh, yeah, that would be good, actually. And you, know, you go away and you research it. And so it's kind of like, you know, just that pursuit of perfection in, in the product and, um, and making it work perfectly for the pet and the owner. Yeah. Uh, that's, you know, the animals are really hard to design for because they don't talk. So right. you, you so you know, so the thing about vets always say, you know, it's much harder to be a vet than a human doctor because, you know, I'm dealing with something which can't tell me what's wrong with it. Right. Uh, and I, I think with product design, it's kind of similar. When you're trying to design these products, it's really hard to know what the animal is thinking. So you have to do a lot of observation and 
a lot of like uh, you know testing and prototyping. Mm-hmm. Uh, we you know we take that side of it really seriously. Sweet, sweet. So I'm all about education, and I have to know: mm-hmm. is there a book that's been influential for you in this process in your life? Well, you know, I read a lot um, when we were researching the chicken coop idea and. Uh-huh. and uh, a lot around the subject, obviously, a lot of chicken keeping books and a lot of, you know, self-sufficiency books, John Seymour and people like that. But really, honestly, the, the book that kind of stays with me more than any is, uh, is The Old Man and the Sea by Ernest Hemingway. Really? Which, yeah, because it's it's that tale of, of somebody going after that elusive mm. prize, that big fish. Yep. You know, it literally is just a big fish. And that's what it feels like, you know. We're, we're product designers, we're businessmen as well, and we, yeah. we're trying to get that big fish. And it's kind of, it's the entrepreneur's curse, I think. It's, is, you never feel like you've caught it. It's always like, well, there's going to be a bigger fish out there. And, yeah. You know, and and that is, uh, it's a kind of, it, it, I don't know how else to describe it. It's kind of, a, it's a double-edged sword because it's like yeah. it's what motivates you, but you never feel satisfied. So, yeah. it's that that kind of thing and it's such a cool book it's uh you know it's, it's really powerful yeah yeah so i'm just going to throw this out there to you i've been self-employed for over 40 years you caught mm-hmm. the fish this is the one you can pat mm-hmm. yourself on the back this is a cool product well you, you did good I, I honestly, I, that's very nice of you to say so, but it doesn't feel like that, and that's <laughs> and that's the problem. It's like yeah. you know, there's always there's going to be another one which is like, wow, that's actually better, and that gets more people into, yeah. you know, keeping chickens, yeah. and and so that one's that one's coming out in the next few years. I don't know what it looks like yet, but I'm sure it'll be. I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. Nice, nice. So, what one final piece of advice you have for our listeners? You know, always eat fresh eggs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Johannes. It's been a treat getting to chat with you. Pleasure. It's been so much fun. Thanks very much for having me. Absolutely. So let's talk about the Eglu and so people can find it at? Uh, www.omelet.us. And that's O-M-L-E-T dot U-S. Yep. Perfect. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, go and check it out. There's... Uh, uh, all kinds of great information there. I saw some growing guides on how to grow different things, and looks like you have an excellent website. Good for you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's a lot of breed advice as well, like different types of chickens and chicken guides and videos and all sorts of stuff on it. Perfect. You can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash eglu. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Do you want to save money at the grocery store, eat more organic, whole foods, cultivate food security, and feel more connected to the earth? If so, then growing your own food is a no-brainer. You wouldn't believe how many people come to me claiming that they can't grow their own food. They think they don't have enough space, that they're too busy, or that they simply don't have what it takes. Perhaps you've fallen for one of these gardening myths. If you think you can't grow food, Or if you think the only food that you have access to is what you buy in the grocery store, I have a life-changing webinar that you need to see. It's free and will help you unearth your inner gardener. I've helped thousands of people just like you learn to grow their own food and I'm speaking from my own experience when I say 
that with the right knowledge in place, there is no such thing as a black thumb. With this webinar, you can begin making your garden dreams come true and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to IWantToGarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or IWantToGarden.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.